Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We are back on New York Sports Wrap. Rich Catino along with Justin Walters. We spent the first half an hour talking about football. Getting a little cold outside, so we want to warm you up a little bit and talk about hot stove. The phone number, if you want to talk sports, is 631-955-5400. That's 631-955-5400. And joining us from Metsmerized Online, and he's a... He's a media demagogue, in my yeah. opinion. <laughs> Mike Silva joins us. And Mike, how are you tonight? Good. Uh, demagogue is never a word I've been <laughs> called before, so that's the first time. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, we're going to get to the Mets in a second, but what in your estimation is taking the Yankees so long to hire a manager? I mean, are we going to be – Is it, you know, I remember – It's so silly. It's, pa- it's, I got to tell you, for, for a team that prides themselves, and I know – you know, and I've like people say, "Oh, you do the Mets, and you're, uh, you know, pro Mets." And I've done other sports, I've done other teams, and I, I, I first time I've done Mets is the last couple of years. I used to do both New York teams, and I have to say, for an organization that prides itself on being the Yankees and being the cream of the crop, they've turned this managerial search into a circus. And I'm surprised because that's not usually what it's about with them. But maybe uh, 
it's because it doesn't really matter because Brian Cashman's the manager, right? Is that what it comes down to? That could be very true. They and you know, have the media's input. That's right. surprising. <laughs> you know what I thought of when this whole managerial thing came out? I'm a big Seinfeld fan, as you all know. And there's an episode where George and Elaine start, you know, she starts having bad things happen to her and George has good things happen to him. And George says, she says, oh, my God, I've become George. It's the, <laughs> it's the opposite episode. And if you were looking at how the two New York teams picked a manager, we would almost think that the way the Mets did it or the way the Yankees would have done it and the way sure. the Yankees doing it or the way the Mets would have done it, they've kind of reversed roles. But I honestly think some of the people they brought in there, Mike and Justin, jump in because I know you have opinions on this. I mean, some of the people they've been bringing in, Aaron Boone? Aaron Boone. I don't know if I'd want Aaron Boone to manage my liquor store, much less a baseball team. It's weird because now the media and um, you start with Mark DeRosa possibly mm-hmm. being part of the Mets equation. Media feels, well, I can manage a team. And look, you and I probably think, and even Mike Francesa has said he can manage a team. He said that <laughs> the other day. Thinking you can manage a team and getting the respect rich in that locker room is, is a whole different thing. And uh, uh, I think it's a broad jump. Uh, I think you know it's interesting for teams to look at other areas or market inefficiencies, as they say. It's all in that money ball mindset, looking for areas where no one's looked before. And I'm not one to say you need to pay your dues. I remember that was a conversation I had with Gary Carter. Gary Carter didn't want to go to Binghamton, New York, to manage. He wanted to stay down in Florida, and he figured, if I'm not going to get a big league job, then let me stay down there. And the Mets weren't cool with that because right. it's not the way that the progression goes. Ryan Sandberg is that guy. He's a Hall of Famer. He was banging the bushes for a while. Uh, and now guys are in these prestigious broadcasting jobs, probably getting paid upwards of a million dollars a year, popping into these jobs. And I guess it doesn't matter in the new Ivy League front office. But I also think that it's a lot easier said than done. And, and I'd be curious how these guys will transition, you know, if at all. I think it's very laughable that they would try to gauge how a manager is going to actually handle himself in front of the media by doing some mock interview. Do you really think that you can, like, say, let's go back to a decade ago when they were fielding managers for the replacement for Tory. Do you think Girardi would have been able to show what he has shown in this past decade? No, it's 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 mock. I mean, look, Rich, you and I have talked about that. I think ma- handling the media and managing the media is so essential to being successful in this town. I mean, look at uh, mm-hmm. the Knicks with Steve Mills and Scott Perry in a short time, yeah. how they've turned the media, which some of it was fair criticism, but it was, it was a distracting criticism. It was impacting the organization when Phil Jackson was there. Uh, Terry Collins, for all the th- criticisms I had about him, he had the beat writers on his side. He made sure the media... Uh, now, managing the clubhouse and managing in baseball, the bullpen is the other two things. And I think the media could play into those other two parts because I think Terry's a perfect example. The media painted a very positive picture of him at every turn. And at the end, it wasn't all rosy. And, and, and we saw that with Mark Carrig's article there at the end of the season. But to the point where we were talking about, can you mock media interaction? I don't know how you mock blown save August uh, or or you know July team doesn't show up and you come in there and you kick over the trash can because you're in the middle of uh, eight games in eleven days on the road and, and your team doesn't want to play. You know how do you mock that? Yep. You know and, and then you've been in those uncomfortable mm. situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love how Francesca even said uh, Justin. Well, I I do what jo- Jeff Torborg used to do. I'd be on on the radio every day. You you do you really think? And I remember <laughs> those days when Torborg was he was there after the game, he was there before the game, and to think about that today. 
That's overkill. It's absolutely overkill. And it killed Terry now. Even Terry, I, I thought it was too yeah. much with Collins. Like, the pre, you know, the 4 o'clock, the post game, all the BS in between. Um, but that's the job now, and that's unfortunately how, what, what sells with these, these regional sports networks. We have someone on the line that's uh, called in. I think, it's, I think I know who this is. I think it's Jack, and I guess he might want to talk about the Rams or the Yankees. But, Jack, welcome to New York Sports Wrap. Always good to hear from you. Hello. 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 You're, you're on the air. Hello. I got a question for you. On December 2nd, the Mets will sign Japanese Phenom Shohei Otani to fill the void at right field left by Jay Bruce on December 5th. The Mets will sign Eric Hosmer on December 8th. The Mets will sign Jonathan Luke Roy on December 11th. The Mets will trade. Travis Darno and prospects Andres Javidez and Jordan Humphreys to the Astros for Jose Altuve and top prospect Kyle Tucker. On December 12th, the Mets will trade Jerry's Familia and Dominic Smith and pitching prospect Nabo Chris Matt to the Red Sox for Craig Kimmel and a player to be named later or Cash and Trey. And on December 13th, the Mets will trade Jacob DeGrom, David Wright, Estubo Cabrera, and pitching prospect Marcos Molina to the Giants for Madison Bumgarner and prospect Sandro Fabian and Kelvin Beltre. Well, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a quick question. First of all, take a deep breath. Okay, but I want to ask you, ask you a question. Um, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just have all free agents, everyone's a free agent next year, and you could anchor a fantasy draft yeah, with all of baseball's general like. managers. Right. Thanks for the call. That was I've heard. I think I've heard that call before on one of my live calling shows. I, I, I just you know I have to laugh because right. you know people will call in sometimes and they'll give a trade and they don't realize a trade's supposed to help both teams. And I said this. You and I <laughs> talked about this, Mike, when the Mets got Jonas Cespedes a couple years ago. It's a trade that helped both teams. Sure, it, you have to. You got a player that got you to the World Series, or at least had a significant reason why you got sure. to the World Series, and you had to give up a top pitching prospect when you had pitchers in your organization. And I think sometimes fans don't realize that a trade is supposed to help both teams. Now, you want it to help your team more, obviously, but you still have to give up something to get something. And I, I love hearing this stuff. Justin, you and I hear it all the time. You hear things like, well... I'll give you the 14th rated pitcher in my organization, and why don't you send Mike Trout over to me? And, and right. it just—of course, it, that seems so balanced. <laughs> it's about as balanced as my waistline. Well, so. you know, that's another thing. <laughs> Prospects have become somewhat political too, Rich. I mean, I think we were—I was thinking about it the other day. You know, the Mets have had some really good performances in the Arizona Fall League with their yes. prospects. And I don't think they're going to show up on the top one, other than Rosario, of course, and, mm-hmm. and Dominic Smith on the B, you know, the baseball prospectus reports. And it goes back to when you do make a deal, what does the other team value in terms of your prospects? I don't know. The media thinks, well, well, we're the ones who are going to decide who's cool and who's not. Well, these player development guys, they're not looking at it that way. Just like, and I know this is 10 years old, but when Johan Santana trade came, nobody, uh, Mets can't get them. You know, they're not going to want, they, those were the prospects the Twins wanted. They, mm-hmm. you know, the Yankees try to get them. And, you know, I know that going back, who knows what, Brian Cashman had offered, but the guys they got from the Mets were the guys they felt they were most comfortable with. Not what the media said that the Twins would want or should have gotten. Well, Omar also knew at that time that 
the Red Sox and the Yankees both wanted him, and the Twins are going to ask for more from sure. the Red Sox because they didn't want him coming into their ballpark every year. And also, uh, you know, the Mets, you know, Omar did a great job in kind of making that happen. You know, it's funny because, you know, talking about Rosario and Dominic Smith, I know you had mentioned both their names, and um, the thing that was disappointing to me about, and nothing was disappointing to me about Rosario, I liked everything I saw. I think the things that I saw that were deficient are very teachable. Uh, not swinging at pitches out of the strike zone, pitch selection, not tapping the glove like your Richard Todd, the old Jet quarterback, when he was throwing the football. Too much Ole in the field. Too much I'm too cool in the field. I think that could be cleaned up. Yeah, quickly. and and that will be cleaned up. The Dominic Smith thing. I wasn't as worried about his offense because he showed me some power, and you know he he, he had so many at bats in the season, and he may have hit a wall. But the thing that really distressed me about him was his defense because I thought his defense was supposed to be a minimum above average. And from what I saw, I didn't see much better than Lucas Duda at first base. I, I agree with that. And, look, the, everyone talks about small sample size, and I get it. And if you look at guys like Jose Reyes and David Wright, and I'm not suggesting that either of these two guys will ever be at their peak, those guys, because those guys came up, they were ready. They were special players. Reyes had a little bit more of a learning curve, if you remember, especially offensively than Wright. Yep. Wright came up. He was ready to go. Had a little bit of a learning curve defensively, but but pretty much was a done deal. But you knew pretty quickly they were answers. Now, I think Rosario pretty much is an answer. Uh, I don't know if Dominic Smith in that cameo, especially against teams that for the most part weren't in it. It wasn't like the Mets were playing big-time spoiler. He didn't show you much. Uh, and that's the first time around the league. They're going to figure him out the second time, and is it going to get better? Uh, you can't go into next season with Dominic Smith and Rosario, I think, both of them as your starters at those positions. And I like how fans have said, well, how can you say that? You're willing to give away a gold glove first baseman? Where's the gold glove? It's in theory. I mean, everybody <laughs> thinks the prospects are going to, well, flat out pan out. You know what, Rich? I'll date myself. Go back to the 80s. Remember a prospect the Mets had, Randy Milligan? Uh, Randy Milligan, right? Yeah. Dave Magadan was supposed to be Keith and Dave Magadan had a nice career, mm-hmm. but not ever. Not everybody pans out. And I don't know where this idea is, well, because it's all about process now, Moneyball. If you do this, it, you know, the outcome will be there, and the outcome very rarely. Look at Justin Turner is a perfect example. Yeah. You, know, you, you cover the Mets. Everyone's making jokes. How can the Mets let Justin Turner go? There was nothing there to indicate he was any more than a backup. Yeah, I, I think the Mets get overly criticized for that. But <laughs> I criticize them for Daniel Murphy. Daniel Murphy should not have been let go. And I said it at the time, and I still say it today. But Justin Turner, there was no way of knowing that he would improve. But the funny thing about the whole thing with, you know, prospects and stuff is that they're prospects. I mean, you know, it, it, there were no guarantees. And to me, to have two half of your infield with guys that have never played a full season – and then expecting them to be core bats, that's unfair to them. It's not the way right. I would do it. The real question I have when you talk about, and it ties into Dominic Smith, is do you give first base to Flores? He's 25, 26, and let him just play there and hit. Because he could hit, or looks like he can hit. He's gotten better against right-handed pitching. Because if you don't want to go out and get a Jose Abreu, if, you, if the price is too prohibitive, if you don't want to sign Carlos Santana, doesn't sound like they're in the Hosmer situation. Uh, Adam Lind is another guy, or Jay Bruce, who might be able to play a little first. I'd rather get someone who can play first, not have a right. first baseman's glove. You and I could have a first baseman's glove. Does not mean we're first baseman, you know. Correct. <laughs> um, can Wilmer Flores be that guy? Because we've, you know, he's been with the organization a long time. Easy to say. I started to look at him the last couple of days. I'm like it's easy to say, uh, Wilmer Flores. 
he came in this, this country when he was 16 mm-hmm. with the Mets organization. He's 25 now. Uh, if he was a college graduate, he'd be with the organization three years, like Peter Alonzo, guy that's a prospect that you know may mm-hmm. turn out to be better than Dominic Smith. So uh, I think the real question is, do they go with someone internally like Flores with maybe Dominic Smith? I don't think that's the way I would go, but I have more faith now in Flores than I would with with Smith at first base because I know Flores can hit, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he can at least. I think first base is his best position where his footwork issues won't right. won't be uh, put there on display. What's jo- the best option for the team at second base? Obviously, everyone wants Neil Walker. Part two return, then you have Ian Kensler's name. I know, Rich, you're a big fan of D. Gordon. Hopefully, making uh, come here. You know, Rich, I'm surprised. Like the more I look at D. Gordon, to give up top prospects and salary for a guy whose game is legs, when he's going to be north of thirty during that contract, that's risky. Mm-hmm. And he's a slap hitter, and I know he gets on base and he can wreak havoc and he can he can add an element that this team doesn't have. But to me, I don't know if there's enough in this game of power now to to warrant giving up a lot for D. Gordon. The question I have is with Estrubel Cabrera, who's a decent bat. We didn't see enough of him at either third or second to make a overall uh, uh, evaluation. But I think the metrics were better with him at second, and the eye test was better with him at second than at third. So would you go with Cabrera at second and then go for third base? Like Todd Frazier, who I think you know they're not talking about, but I think he's a New York guy, Tom's River, New Jersey. He brought some grit to the Yankees. I don't know if the Yankees are going to bring him back. Uh, and I think he would like playing in this town. I think you would see a different Todd Frazier playing at home uh, than maybe the Todd Frazier you saw out in Cincinnati and, and Chicago. I know that that's a risk as well. For yeah. Sure. Well, the thing about Cabrera is, you know, we looked at him last year as a player that was having injuries, and I didn't like him at second base at all because it was almost like you had a a toy wooden soldier, like turning the double play. And at third, to me, he looked a lot better and that you didn't have to worry about that aspect of the sure, game. That's fair. And he was able to move around. And he has a decent arm. So now, if I see him healthy in spring training, I may feel differently about that. I may feel that now second base is a position he can revisit. But the reason I like D. Gordon, and listen, I would just say Derek Jeter, look, you're a great guy and Hall of Famer, future anyway. <laughs> uh, but this is the deal. If you want a top prospect, you're taking some of D. Gordon's contract back. If you want me to take the whole contract, then you're taking a lower-level prospect. If not, I'm going to move on because I could probably secure Brandon Phillips or Ian Kinsler for something similar to what I just depicted. So I'm not really I'm not going to throw the ship at it. I like Gordon though. I like him because he gives the Mets speed. He solves the leadoff situation, and now all of a sudden your defense up the middle becomes a lot better. Which is so important. I think it's been vastly... I mean, think about this, guys. They went to the World Series with Flores and Murphy up the middle. Forget about <laughs> Murphy's bat. Flores, I mean, and I've had this argument, like, well, he's young, he's learning. He can't play third. He can't play short. You, His footwork, he can't do it. I'm not, I'm not saying he's not trying. I'm sure he practices at it. He's got that long... He's like a pitching machine with the wind-up on his arm. His his footwork is always off. You know that, that throw is going to be off. Um, so anything is going to be an upgrade from that duo uh, up the middle. That's Kinsler, remarkable to think about. Think that. about it. I mean, no one really talks about how fortunate they were that season mm-hmm. to get to where they had to get. Kinsler's interesting because he is, he is north of 35. I think he's going to be 36. He had a down year, but a lot of the contact rate, a lot of the things that would signal in the process that he would be normal year 280, 20 home runs were there. 
Uh, I know he's good defensively. He looks like he's a guy that uh, lost a little interest there in Detroit there at the end. That's what right. he reports, making ten, eleven million dollars. But it goes, you know, I met, heard you guys say, you know, why is the hot stove so cold? I think a lot of this is all speculation because it's also going to depend on the budget. If the Mets have, and it's reported they have an offer out to Brian Shaw. Now, you got names like Brian Shaw, Joe Smith, Mike Miner, Addison Reed as bullpen arms. They want to probably land two of those. Right. To me, you put a blanket over those guys, the righties, and for the most part, they're all the same. Maybe you could prefer one over the other. Shaw has some enticing qualities. He's been in 79, 80 games every year. Miner's the guy that's the difference maker because he's lefty and they can right. use the second lefty. But listen, if you wind up with Joe Smith or Addison Reed, is there really a difference? I'm not quite sure. I'm sure there's subtle differences. Uh, but it, you know, where does this all fit in the budget? Can they do the eleven million dollars? Now, I don't think the budget is as tight as the media is making out to be. Sandy Olson said it was mm. going to go down. He didn't say thirty. The, the only people saying thirty million dollars are the media. That's the only people saying it. And, and I don't know where they get the number from. I don't either. And, and you know, the funny thing about about it is, last year when we heard from the media when the Mets picked up the option on Jay Bruce, well, Cespedes is gone. And sure. somehow the Mets found, found a way to right, and, and they made their they paid one hundred fifty million it. right, okay, for the right moves, right. right. So I think that you know sometimes and listen, the Wilpons get enough criticism, and they don't they don't need me to defend them. They've been baseball owners for quite a long time, and I think because they're in this town and the Yankees spend so much more than them, I mean there were, there were people that thought when the Mets signed Piazza that they didn't have a big enough payroll. Back in you know right. times in you know nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, it just it's a comparison that they're never going to get away from. But the hundred fifty million dollar payroll the Mets had last year, if they had been healthy, they would have been a contender. It really is that simple. Now, I, they weren't healthy. They made some other mistakes, sure, certainly. But I look at this Met team, and and Mike, you jump in. You know, and, and let's assume Conforto at some point will be healthy. I don't think he'll be there on opening day, but let's say he's there by Memorial Day at the latest. Right. Um, you got Conforto, Cespedes, Syndergaard, Degrom, Familia. That's a pretty good core five for me sure. to build on. Now you need to fill other things. There's no question about it. But I think that people get the sense. I get the sense from the media that they think those five are in a core group, and because the asterisks of health, right? Everybody, well, they fall in love. Like you go from the f- cover of a magazine to <laughs> off the cover <laughs> within minutes. Around, I mean, that's the way things, <laughs> right? But it, very, I don't know if you read the John Harper article last week, and it tied into the like, injury and prevention and recovery. Mm-hmm. The Mets haven't been using, and this falls on Sandy Aldis and the ownership, but it also falls on the, the the manager, the coaching staff from last year. A lot of the things that Mickey Callaway was doing in Cleveland, they have that that. Sleeve, I think it's called a modus sleeve, where they it, it, they evaluate all the pitchers' movements, and, and I guess it gives data into a database so to help them stay healthy. If other teams are using these things, uh, and maybe some people are like, oh, that's so goofy. Think about back in the old days. Well, back in the old days, they didn't wear helmets when they got up to plate as well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, seatbelts didn't come around right away, right? So mm-hmm. to laugh and say things that today, because it wasn't like yesterday, is mm-hmm. is, is sometimes a pretty archaic way of looking at it. The Mets weren't using a lot of tools. I think that's going to help them. I think the biggest thing, Rich, and, and I know you're around the team, I'd never felt since they went to that World Series, they came out of spring training ready to win and compete. It was always, well, we're a second-half club, and it was always building themselves up. And part of that might be getting ready for the season in the offseason. Not all of that falls necessarily on Terry. You know where I stand on Terry. I thought he did a lousy job after the World Series. And it, pretty much I think Sandy Olsen probably wanted him out of here before 2015, and 2015 changed things. Um, but some of that falls on the players. But if they're not being given direction from the top, well, what do you expect? You're going to get Noah Syndergaard going out, 
playing He-Man. There's 23-year-old kids. They're immature. They don't really know themselves yet. We forget that because, you know, you and I are looking at things and the media is looking at things like adults. They're not adults. They're not. We forget that. Right. Um, you know, you talk about the Knicks probably at some point today. Their stars are 20 years old. You know, come on. Look about what you were when you were 20 years old. Face right? of their franchise. Justin actually probably is 20 years old, and I just don't know. Yeah, right? it's yeah like, that's plus right. seven. <laughs> <laughs> so. But, I, I, you know, and Justin, I know you and I talked about this a lot. You know, it, the media, it's, it's tough to play in this town. It's tough to manage in this town. It's tough to be a GM in this town. But I do think that's not always the fault of the player. Now, we'll talk about Matt Harvey for a second. And Justin and I talked about this this weekend. And I'm going to ask you, Mike. The Yankees call you up and say, <laughs> I want Matt Harvey and I'll give you Dylan Batances. You take that trade? That's a very interesting trade. Um, <laughs> we had a long discussion here, here, about Here's it. the only thing why I would say no. Because the value of the starter in my opinion, is still greater than the value of the one-inning reliever. See, that's why I was saying it depends. I think, that, I think we're overvalued. We do this all the time. Every, this is a copycat game, and I'll go back. When the Florida Marlins won the World Series in 2003, that offseason, everybody, oh, you got to have Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo at the right. top of your lineup. Yep. You can't win with home runs. you got to win with speed. Mets go to the World Series. Now it was, well, you all have to have great young starting pitching. Now the last couple of years you have the you know Super Bowl, but oh, that's it. Throw out all the rest of what was being told. You have to have a Super Bowl pen. There's more than one way to win. And by the way, the Mets did the same thing when they went to the World Series. Guess who came out in Game 5 out of the bullpen? Noah Syndergaard, guys. I remember uh, watching yeah. that game. And you know what? You can make the argument they probably should have went two innings with him instead of one uh, You know, during that time. Uh, Familia was going two innings. Yep. Except the one game that, for some reason, Terry didn't put him two innings. He decided to go with Tyler Clippard, and that's the game they lost. And that probably is the reason why they, well, one of the reasons why they lost the World Series or didn't go back to Kansas City with a chance to win. So this has all been done. It's no different right now. So I think to answer your question, I'd be very careful. I listen. Yeah, one more year with him, ride it out because I think the regret if he goes and wins fifteen games. It would just hurt. I think it would hurt too much, and you'd be kicking yourselves. Right. He's probably gone after this year anyway. I think that just. A, I think in general he's a high maintenance guy, uh, but he's not as tough of a guy as I think we all thought. I think he's showing that right. because adversity has shown a part of him where um, he hasn't really shown a good side of himself over the last you know eighteen months. To Callaway's credit, I know he said he believes he can help him have, I guess, a rebirth or a third chapter sure. of the Dark Knight. Of course, any optimistic person is going to say that. But one of my questions is the way that baseball is changing the dynamics of it. When you look at a pitcher like Roy Holiday, who passed away in the plane crash, and you look at his body of work, how he was able to go seven, eight stretch of innings. Why is it now that we're just contingent on pitchers to maybe at least pitch five or six? And we're like, oh, that's a good job when it should be realistically eight innings. Now let me give it over to my closer. What has changed? Has there been anything that's changed, or is it the the way the ball is being hit now? What's going on? I think, and I, don't, I have not spending as much time around minor league clubs like I did five years ago when I'd go to Trenton once a month and talk to a lot of people. But I think the way they're developing him, like you and I could try to run a marathon tomorrow, we're going to conk out, right? But maybe we could do a sprint because we've been trained to do short distance running. At some point, if you're going to go, and I think a pitcher should be able to go 120 pitches. And I think, Rich, you've talked to Davey Johnson. I think those 80s Mets, they didn't count pitches. I think Doc, 
yeah, there was those games in the rain that Davey got criticized where he went 150, 160 pitches. David Cohn certainly went that mount. But those were not every night. I think about 120, 130, and they were they were done. I don't see any reason why they can't. I don't think they're trained to go that route. I know the data indicates that the third time around the order, there's a higher probability of them getting hit. But to me, there's a higher probability of, of Hansel Robles getting hit fresh than Noah Syndergaard the third time around the order. If we're talking about starters four and five, like a Bartolo Colon, mm-hmm. I think it, I think what, what Justin said is right. Colon, I was always a guy, get him out after two times around the order, they're going to figure him out. And, and, and that's pretty much what they did. So, you know, I think it's about training them. And the mindset is, let me go those extra 20 pitches. I think DeGrom has it. Yep. I think there's a lot of I don't trepidation know. by the managers. Like, as soon as you see the first sign of fear, of they, course. Well, they don't want to get fired. I think well, the second you, guessing, yeah. too. You know the thing? And, and you hear managers say in post games where they say, well, I brought my setup guy and then my closer in. Well, why? Now, this is what, I've always had this argument with writers where I say, well, okay, let's take a scenario here. Mets are playing the Nationals. They're up 2-1 to one after seven innings, games at City Field. And now Murphy and Harper are coming up in the eighth inning. Why do you bring up? Your, why don't you bring your closer in right there? Even if he doesn't pitch the ninth inning, let him right. get the guys out. out. I'll throw you something radical, and I, if I, I don't know if Callaway would do this, but see the Nationals enough, I would never let Harper beat me with a right-handed pitcher. I'd always have a lefty face him if I had that lefty. Saw in the Cubs series when Harper tied when he hit the home run. Yep. Should be a lefty. That's why what he did Terry with Josh Edgen that night in the ninth inning when he got the double play. Actually, I was like. That's that's a, a a move that probably he'd get killed for, but I respected that. I'm like, that's the kind of move I never expected out of Terry because it was so out of the box. He brought Edgen in. Um, that's why I think the Mike Miner bringing a guy like that in, if they can get that kind of contract, is interesting because now you got two lefties and Miner's a lefty. Unlike Blevins, they could go lefty righty. And if I see those two guys come in the ninth inning. Why does it have to be familiar? Why does it have to be A.J. Ramos? I think A.J. Ramos is going to drive people a little bit nuts, to tell you the truth. I've already seen enough of him. You know, he's he's a good pitcher, but he's going to be a tightrope guy. Why does it? Bring the lefty in. I mean, to me, wouldn't if you had a lefty, you're just supposed to a good lefty, not a, you know, me. I'm a lefty, Rich. You don't want me facing Bryce Harper, even though Bryce Harper can't hit lefties. He's probably going to hit me, right? I got my but, money on right, silver. You got me right, right. So, but, but, but Blevins is a guy I'd bring in because – I think the odds are better that he's going to get him out, you know? And even when Murphy's not right after Harper, when they have Rendon in the middle, I this has happened a lot of times. And, and you know, I'm a, I was a big Terry guy, but there are some things I didn't like that he did as well. And one of the things is you bring Blevins in to face Harper, let him face Rendon, and then let him face Murphy. Because if you don't, you bring a lesser pitcher in to face Rendon, and then when you're leaving the righty in to face, face Murphy... Live with whatever happens with Blevins is proving right. he can get righties out. It's not he's not just right. a lefty specialist. He just has to pitch a little differently to the power righty than than he would the lefty. So um I guess the point is this. I think you're gonna see all these answers about the Mets offseason continues. First, what's the budget? I don't know. But if Carlos if they sign Carlos Santana, which it looks like it's something they're really considering, and then they sign the two bullpen arms, does that mean they're gonna go out and get themselves Jake Arietta? Of course not. We know that. <laughs> but I, I I think there'll be a budget to bring in a innings-eating pitcher. I'd love them to really go to R.A. Dickey. I don't know if the guy wants to pitch anymore. I don't think he does. I don't think he does, but I'd love to say, hey, do you want to come here, end your career one more year, make it enticing financially? Um, I know, you know, and Ken Davidoff had reported this, and I had spoken to someone on that team. He wasn't the most liked guy in the clubhouse when he was here, but a lot of it had to do with the Mount Kilimanjaro thing and, and the book, and I think that 
rubbed those guys the whole way. post no hitter by Johan and then yeah. the whole thing saying David it was Reichen a lot of me era. it's a lot of yeah. me stuff with RA yeah. and look to be fair the guy was had was career was on life support a couple times and when you get a chance to shine and cash in they all would do the same thing and the Mets you know, cashed in on him too let's sure not that. the Mets cash in on a lot of people let's put it that way and getting so. Noah Syndergaard when he's at the, his, the right. height of his you know Brand still amazing. Young Award winner. Well, yeah, and I really see that's a guy. I really, you know, I don't mind the Twitter stuff. I, the Mister Met stuff is getting to me on Twitter, <laughs> and I'm not a guy to really <laughs> to police. Like I love when fans get upset. Well, Matt Harvey's not working out. He's on Instagram. Well, he has a life. He doesn't work out 24 hours right. a day. That's the but, most bogus argument. But, but I just sometimes I'm just like, get serious, man. Be serious. Like there's a window. What did of you opportunity. just say though? Remember. They're kids. Right. You know, but there's a window of opportunity here, Rich, and you've seen this. The window's going to close really quick. And that's what really annoyed me with this whole Terry Worthen thing is I felt like they never really – there was too laissez-faire approach to this window. And now it's kind of like coming up on them where they're going to be free agents. They're going to get expensive. Maybe they're going to be over – not over the hill, but who knows. Um, and now it's like we got to get this going because – you may walk away from this window with 2015 being it, and we all thought 2015 was that innocent climb that just happened to result in in, a, in nearly a championship, which would have been cool. But well, I do think that the Mets and Jacob Degrom will talk about something this winter. That out of all of them, that's the guy because that's a guy who's mature, who goes out there, he grinds it out, and he and he pitches. He rem, he reminds me, and I hate these lazy narratives and comparisons. He's David Cohn. To me, that's David Cohn. That reminds me of how David Cohn used to be. David Cohn wasn't dominant, but he would get you a really, really good start. Um, and I hope that Syndergaard becomes not a you know a fizzle like Doc Gooden was. Uh, I don't think he will. And in fairness to Syndergaard, it, it's one injury. It's not a litany of injuries. I think the interesting thing in the Met rotation, and Justin and I have talked about this on a number of occasions, is that what do you get from Mats? What do you get from Wheeler? What do you and we know Harvey? We've talked about him already. Matt's what fixable? do you get from those guys? Uh, well, I've never liked Wheeler. I've always I know that uh, look the deal they got for Beltron for him they got it, the best prospect that was the right thing. I've always felt that he was overrated. He's a guy that never had command and control going at the same time. I looked at him as a 500 pitcher a guy that's going to give you as many good starts as bad starts. He had the Tommy John. His mechanics from day one were always. Uh, a red flag. Um, I think Matt's his injury is more fixable to come back from. It's the same thing that Grom had, and he's lefty. I would not give him up. The one thing I and I said this on the podcast two weeks ago. I said the one thing the Mets have to be careful of. If if a lot of teams are asking about guys like Gazelman and Matts and and Lugo, be careful because they see something that maybe you're not you you're not maximizing them. Mm-hmm. Look, everybody's looking around. There's no reason why the Mets should have had the historic. Even with the injury, injuries, the pitching was so bad even when they were healthy. Yeah, to me, there was a problem. And that falls, and I know that Syndergaard defended him, that falls on the pitching coach. That's not just, oh, well, Syndergaard. They weren't good even when they were healthy. And you got to think about it, how bad that starting rotation was, how bad those pitchers were. They should have been worse than 72. This was That's 62 Mets level bad, Rich. There were times, yeah. the way they were getting clobbered, that's like 100 loss like, they have no idea. That's what there's hope. They should not have been as good as they even were last year. What bothered me about them last year was not the home runs because everyone was giving up home runs in baseball. Sure. It was the walks. The, the walks, walks was in a that whole ball, In that ballpark, right. you shouldn't be walking anybody. Right. There's a whole 180 on that. Pitch selection. I've always 
And 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 again, I I talked to guys who pitched on that staff. Dan Worthen very much was a believer. Don't get beat inside. It was always away, away. He was a very listen. They were always very predictable how they would pitch, especially late in the game. Away, away, away. If I know it, and I'm sitting on the couch, you don't think the guy in the box doesn't know it? He not only knows it, he's waiting for it. So um, I think that that's something that Calabi's talked about. Maybe going inside, you throwing curveballs. Look. No one who took anyone who takes over the team now is going to sound good and look good. It's easy. Right. It's easy on Thanksgiving to do that. Let's see spring training. Let's see the first bit of adversity. Uh, he handled the press conference. Let's see as he has to deal with these people, guys like you. You know, <laughs> with a microphone in their face every day. Look, he go, Rich, give me a break, man. But and the stupid questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you brought that up. The stupid questions. It's it's it's. It's it's all it's part of the job, and let's see how he handles that. Jose Reyes and I joke all about this all the time. There's a certain columnist for the Daily News that, <laughs> in Jose's second year, went up to him and asked him this question, and I quote: "So, Jose, have you always been fast?" <laughs> and Jose has indicated to me that one of the things he thought because. At that time, Jose's English wasn't as good as it is now. Sure, he he thought he was asking something about his chase of women or something. Oh wow! And, <laughs> and, and the whole, that doesn't surprise me. The wow. whole thing got kind of out of hand. Right. And, and my point is, like, think about what you're going to ask a player. And I love, you, you know, especially sideline reporters, and no one does it better than Kevin Burkhart. There was never anyone better at it than Kevin. But he gradu- see, if you're a good sideline reporter, you graduate to not be a sideline reporter. Correct. If you're a sideline reporter your whole life, you're pretty much a sideline This side- is the one I don't understand when they ask this one. What were you thinking about when you hit the ball? That's the best There's one. There's nothing. No, I mean, you're, you're not. It's instinct. You're, 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 you're looking for your pitch. You're looking to square it up, and you're looking to hit it as hard as you can. And once Derek Jeter, actually, who he was the most monotone and matter-of-fact Actually, he was obnoxious in post games. I I, met, I I dealt with him on his rehab when he right before his three thousandth hit. I felt he was the most um, condescending person I could. Apply. Here he is in Trenton. I know he doesn't want to be there. You should use it to have some fun. He was just condescending. But anyway, that's a separate separate uh, situation. Once you hit the ball, if you square up and hit it, there's not much else you can do. If it's going to be at somebody, if someone's going to make a diving play, if the wind's going to blow a back, if it's the wrong part of the ballpark, there's nothing you can do, man. You you know that you hit the wrong. City Field, April, May, ball's not going to carry. Never will carry. It'll April. carry left field, right field in the summer. Down the line. Down like, the line. Even, even earlier, it'll ca- and carry the, down and, the line, and, but never in the gap. In the gaps, it's not going to carry. Um, and that's why it, the, I, I saw someone say, now with the whole home run thing, maybe they should move the fences back. Guys, we did that already. Nobody can hit the ball out of the place. I remember the fir- I went to the first game at City Field when they played the Red Sox. That's before the season started. Mm-hmm. Fernando Tatis in that preseason game smoked a ball. I'm telling you, smoked a ball, and the ball hit the wall. And I said, wow, it's really cold today. Maybe the, you know, the, you know, there's not the thin air when it's humid and Sure enough, that was a harbinger of things to come because nobody could hit the ball well, out of they the, had ball the high, ball. Remember, they had the high wall. They had the high wall. It was far out there. I don't know who designed it. So, uh, But th- the point is you can't control most of what you do other than the process, the process which is at the plate or pitching. You, you, you control your mechanics and the pitch you're going to throw. And if someone you know, squares up on it and hits it where they ain't, you know, that's why they do this batting average on balls in play stuff. So, you know. And the other thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit, mm-hmm. Mike, is the media. And and what you know, 
beat reporters, it's not an easy job. And I'm no, not going to make it's it. Hard, it's it, a hard job, and, and they don't get paid nearly enough for the kind of time. They're, they're, they're putting in the road hours without mm-hmm. the pay. But the thing that kind of affects me sometimes is when I, uh, I'm on Twitter, you have to always remember that there are fans out there that would do it for nothing. Okay? And... Just for so, a week, I think they would rethink that after a week. Maybe put it that way. they always say it's the easiest. Job, it's the easiest and they find job. Out how much hard work <laughs> it's is hard. Put behind. But go ahead. I'm but, sorry. But you know, is the negativity always going to be there? And I, you know, you know me. I'm more of a. Upbeat. You're very positive. And I do it for a number of reasons. One, it's who I am. But sure. secondly, there's none of that voice out there. It's not out there at all. Well, and, Twitter has become very snarky. Like I think the most negative beat out there right now is the Knicks beat. And I love Steve Popper, and Frank Isola and I have had words, and Stefan Bondi and I have had words. And it's not about them. I'm not expecting them to be cheerleaders. But there's clearly an, there's an agenda that the beat has created. There's the groupthink. I think the Mets beat had groupthink. The Mets groupthink was Terry. I think Terry created, and he did it himself. Kudos. Um, Pat Riley, you probably covered Pat Riley. Pat mm-hmm. Riley was great at masterminding the media. He never got criticized when he was here. And, never. And looking back, he probably did some things that probably deserved criticism. Um, you won't hear me criticize him because I bought the, I drank the Kool-Aid. Jeffrey and Gundy uh, as well. So, you know, I think there's that group that thing. that year, the Knicks mm-hmm. went to the finals, um, Mike Keenan got criticized. Oh, really? And the Rangers won the cup. Right, and he, he, he yeah. <laughs> and Riley didn't get any criticism. No, the right, Exactly. Um, but there's, I think it's like, it's trying to get, first of all, you're on the road, you're, you're watching all these games when I'm sitting home and I could pretty much cover a team and do what I do on my scope from the couch for the most part and, and learning and building some relationships. I could check out in the seventh inning of a 10, nothing game. You could check out even at Fios. If you guys want to do it, you could probably look at a couple of replays. They can't. They're sitting there. Then they got to go get the quote because the editor wants the quote. Of course. And at some point, you're you're spending time like you would spend time with anybody else, people at work that you spend eight hours a day. There's a lot of uh, contempt because of the familiarity. There is. And uh, so I feel for them on that. Uh, I do think that um, a lot of them are not using that platform to further their careers. You know, Bob Clappish. Uh, he was a beat writer, yep. and he was one of the best when he covered the Mets back in the 80s. Absolutely. And he developed into a columnist. And I don't know if that's the career path that people could take now because the newspaper industry is all upside down. Uh, Kevin Kernan, he covered. You know, I love Kevin. He's a columnist. Uh, he covered teams at one point. Marty Noble, uh, all these guys that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and they graduated and they made something out of it. But they didn't do that by just sitting around and reporting scores and transcribing Terry's quotes because right. if that's what you're going to do and wait for your opportunity and not do some of the things you know Adam Rubin like him or not I mean the guy built his own little following um, yeah, he did. Alan Hahn did the same thing when he was the Knicks beat writer and now he's you know oh he was the house reporter everyone you say well yeah he got a job at MSG wouldn't you like that you know so uh, and you know that I get a lot of not open criticism but people know that I have a good relationship with Jeff and Fred they're aware yeah. of it. They know it. And Jeff knows. And I, and I get the snarkiness from it. Look, Jeff knows who criticizes and who doesn't. I, I ran into Jeff when they used to do the blog stuff four or five years ago. And I had some, not words with him, but I let him know my thoughts. And I could tell Jeff doesn't like to be challenged. Like, who are you to challenge me? But, right. but at least he knew where I was coming from. And look, I, they knew I criticized them and, and the lack of spending. And, and 
you know, you had our buddy Howard Megdell with the Madoff stuff that they had their rabbit ears for. But look, at the end of the day, they survived. Like them or hate them, they survived. It's a family-run owned business. It's different than venture capital coming in. There's so many dynamics. Go on COTS contracts. Look at the luxury tax thresholds for these teams. Mets can't play anywhere near there. And now, I mean, there's a 90% dollar-for-dollar almost uh, tax uh, threshold. I think if you do three years in a row, you go over. I mean, not that the Mets would ever come near there, but if you think the Yankees are going to do dollar for dollar, you think they're going to have a $500 million payroll and pay $2 for every dollar on every player? Come on. That's not happening. It's not. So, Um, And Justin, you covered a lot in the postseason with the Yankees. Get back to the managerial um, choosing of a manager. Does a young player... When a new manager comes in, he had a great season, Aaron Judge, under Joe Girardi. Does now he have to get used to another manager? And can that have some impact early in the season as he's getting used to the new manager, Justin? I don't think it impacts the young bats like Judge, Didi Gregorius. I think it's more that you put this unbelievable onus on the next manager knowing that it's must-win. We talked about the honeymoon phase that we're now in with Mickey Calloway right now, which is nice. Yeah, we met you. Cool. You said about all these great quotes and you didn't give us cliches. You were direct. This is what I want to do. We don't get that phase because Joe Girardi took this team that nothing was expected of. And now the next person coming in doesn't have time to shake hands and kiss babies. Get us to the ALCS, if not further, let's win a ring in two years. What they should have done with Girardi, and we both spoke about it, is play the chess game. Let's bring him back on a two-year deal. He may not get to the World Series in 2018. If he doesn't, we can X him out in 2019 a little bit earlier, and then we can start up our search, or we can do something that's at least in the short term. Whoever comes in, they just have to know. People joked around and said, Alex, I know you brought up Aaron um, Boone's name. They're not going to do Alex Rodriguez. He's clearly fine with his real estate and broadcasting role. And there's and Shark a, Tank. Oh, of course. <laughs> can't forget about that. He has a, he has a lot. His money's long, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. He's got a good life. I don't think he wants to get into this, to the uh Yeah, and I think there's again. some girl named J-Lo that yeah. is yeah, I mean, with I mean, him. if yeah. I was a J-Lo, I wouldn't want to manage because I'd see less of her. You know, that, that would end that <laughs> right away. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that the onus is on the manager. It's not really on the players. The players are going to play their game. They're really, I think that they're hopefully going to try to get this job done before the new year. Well, that would be at least it's, ideally. It's, it's what really interesting, and I've brought this up a number of occasions on this show, but we're now going towards the end of the decade. And if the Yankees don't, I'm not even saying win the World Series, if they don't go to the World Series in 18 or 19, it would be the first time in a century that the Yankee organization had a decade where they didn't go to the World Series. Right, because they went in the 80s. Even in, they in 81. Right. They went in 81. Yeah. So I think the pressure's going to be enormous on the manager, and if they don't have a good season, I think we might see another manager in 19. And it might just be, you know, let's... let's that, that'd be tough, though, because Cashman, Cashman knew what he was doing when he suggested this. They can't, they can't play this musical chairs game. It's going to be a short lease. No, they can't do that. The person coming in has to be their guy. The guy I would pick because I think it'll be the most consistency for the players. And I think 
he's underrated in how he's evaluated is Robbie Thompson. That's the guy I would give the job to. But I always always worry. This is what I worried about with Kevin Long if he had gotten the job. And I think if Callaway didn't come in and knock everyone's socks off, I think Long was going to get the job. It sounded like that anyway. Is can you transition from being part of the staff to the manager? Um, you know, Buddy Harrelson didn't do a good job with that. That's a perfect example of someone who was well-respected within the organization, took the manager's chair at a very difficult time. Daryl Strawberry stayed on the wagon and resigned. Maybe Buddy's tenure would have been looked at differently. But he had a lot of issues, had issues with the media as well. Um, you know, even Chris Woodward, who uh, Mets fans will remember for his time with the Mets in, in 05-06, was he's a third base coach. It's totally different. Now, he's coming out of L.A. over here. It's a, it's a little different. I don't even know if Callaway would want to go from pitching coach to manager with the Indians. I think that would be awkward. It'd be difficult. But very awkward. Even though he's probably going to try to bring some of his guys over, um, but they're coming here into a new environment with him as Mets manager, not in the same place. There is a psychological, in my opinion, impact on that. Absolutely. I call I call it the Joe Walton disease. <laughs> is what I call it. Joe Walton, great offensive coordinator with the Jets. And really, Walt Michaels had a blow up on a plane after a Raider playoff win, and sure. Michaels went. But clearly, Joe Walton was not ready to be a head coach. And uh, some political people might call it the Jimmy Carter syndrome: go from governor oh, to president. Yeah, I mean, well, AJ Hinch. I mean, there's an example, and I, you know, I don't think he managed a <laughs> no. great. I don't think he managed great well, either in the playoffs. But they like him; they're comfortable with them. They won a championship. Uh, he was a disaster because he was a guy that they viewed as a front office guy. And, but that's and he's going to go get. down in history. And no one's going to. It's like Joe Madden. Did he manage the best game in the World Series? Right. He no. But no. he's got his title. Exactly. And I guess at the end, at the end, all that stuff. When you win, everything else goes away. Like even worse. the even like when the Mets went to the World Series, all the nonsense and the BS from the prior five years didn't matter anymore. Selective amnesia. Does it conjure up a little bit now? Different BS conjures up now. But I really think that the Mets got less equity. From winning a pennant than I've seen any New York team get from winning. But that's a pennant. on them, Rich. I think they were the ones, and it's not about now. Maybe the Murphy move was. I think I was okay with them letting Murphy go because I felt the defense was a big issue. Now, they probably knew David Wright had issues, but if they had signed him to be a third baseman, which I think Murphy's a better third baseman than a second baseman, I think that that would have been a, a, a bold, bold move because that would have been acknowledging David, you're not in our plans. Hard to do that when David's telling her I'm going to play. But I think once you heard spinal stenosis, anybody who has a Wikipedia access and WebMD, we're not talking about the doctors. Anyone who's on WebMD, right. I mean, it doesn't take. I'm not a doctor, but I when I read it, I said that's not good. Uh, and he's trying to buck the odds now. I know Peyton Manning to a certain degree did with the neck injury, but and then we saw that was good for one season. And yeah, that, and that totally different situation though. You know, different uh, type is. of. Um, you know, you could build a system around Peyton Manning. You know, David Wright's either going to hit and play defense or not. You can't make the game revolve around a different David Wright. Right, Knight. right. And I guess a couple of other questions I have for you is um, – I know you wanted to bring up the Shohei Otani, even though that's more yeah, of the, the sweepstakes I, and, that and it's everyone's in, mentioning. This quiz Stan. bothers me a lot. Like, you want to play here and now i got to get quizzed by you? I, I just, yeah, I, that's I, interesting. I mean, it just, what are the I looked at it. I got to. I got to tell you, I don't know if I was Sandy Olson or GM. I look at this and I'm like, I might turn around and I might be with Steve Phillips and say, "This is the 24-1 A Rod time," where I'm going to say. But how many times do you hear about a Babe Ruth-esque talent, literally, a guy that could throw 100 uh, miles per hour? I heard that Adekia Rabu was supposed to be Nolan Ryan, if I remember correctly. Yeah. The funny thing is, the guy that came over and who's had the best career, which is Ichiro, nobody talked about. 
you well, might remember well, Bobby this. Bobby did. Bobby Valentine did. And I remember the quote, and you probably remember. You might have been there when they did it. Someone asked him, can he be Kenny Lofton? And Bobby looked at them and said, he's way better than Kenny Lofton. Kenny Lofton is a, outside the Hall of Very Good. Not Hall of Fame, Hall of Very Good. Kenny Lofton was a good player. And for Bobby to sneer and go, he's way better than Bobby Kenny Bobby said to me that when – it was a great story with Omar and Bobby. And they went over um, – to see him, you know, and Omar tells me this story, and he says it in his inimitable way. He said, we came back, and it was like I was with two people from competing divisions. Bobby wanted to sign Ichiro, wanted him, and Phillips didn't. He says, I don't know whether Steve didn't because there were people telling him. He goes, but I was sitting in a plane with Steve and Bobby V, and Omar says to me, he made me laugh so hard when he said this, and I felt like Rich Catino. And I said, what do you mean you felt like Rich Catino? He goes, because you're the only guy I know, Rich, on the face of the earth that liked both Steve Phillips and Bobby <laughs> Valentine. <laughs> and I felt like I had to tap into Rich's inner soul. And I'll tell you what, Steve, and, and I don't know if you talk to Steve anymore, but uh, I, you know, he's done a lot of screwed up things in his life. We know that. Uh, but I think he does a nice job on MLB Network Radio. Mm-hmm. But he's still, when he plays fantasy GM with the Mets, he still favors... Trading a lot of the younger players for established veterans. <laughs> he uh, did that. You know, he was talking last year. Maybe he'll be right. You know, they should have uh, capitalized on the Mats' success and maybe ch- traded him to Pittsburgh, a guy like uh, McCutcheon or McCutcheon. things like you know, yeah, player like Andrew. that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, you don't give up on lefties that quickly. Yeah. But that Steve had a different philosophy. And uh, it's funny. I met Bobby at the Hamptons Film Festival when Pelotero came out. He told me, and I don't know. He didn't say it was off the record, so I could say the story. That the reason John Olward left wasn't because of money, because the wife was traveling on the plane and the players didn't like it. That that was one of the reasons John left. Really? I didn't know that. I, know. I, I knew there was something wrong with that because we talked about John. I said the biggest mistake that ever was made, forget about all, was letting Olward go ho- totally underrated. Not Keith Hernandez level defense, but almost as good as Keith as an overall player. And uh, that was a big. They would have won the. I think they would have won a World Series with Olwood instead of Todd Zeal. But you know, that's well, it's funny because they had in '99. I think they had a better overall team than in 2000, but they, they had a the better ace. rotation. They needed Hampton to stabilize yeah, the rotation. They had a better rotation in 2000, and and you know a lot of, a lot of people might say, well, they never had to beat the Braves. Well, that's just the way things Listen. go. But I think that you know. When St. Louis was pretty good. It gets so. kind of lost in the shuffle when the Mets lost the 2000 World Series. How good, how dominating they were over the Cardinals in the in the NLCS. Um, they won it in five games, and some of those games weren't even close. I yeah. mean, the last game, we'll never see that again, by the way. Mike Hampton finishing a pennant with a complete game shutout. Maybe, Ker- see a Maybe Kershaw. Maybe. 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 A big one. Maybe. Maybe. But Dave Roberts might want to take him out in the third inning one day. Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, another big story besides Otani and Stanton that's been swirling around is what Joe Morgan came out with. And a lot of people, we can spend all day. I know it's only a couple minutes left in the show. So do you agree or disagree with what Morgan said? And should steroid users, like, do they, be- I, do they belong? At the end of the day, it's about the performance on the field. And you can't start playing. If you want to start playing morality, there's Ty Cobb, there's Greenies. You know, the same guy Joe Morgan wants probably Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. I yes, think we'd all agree. I think we'd all agree. That character. Listen, Pete Rose has a lot of skeletons in his closet. 
it's from many different ways. It's and a I'm graveyard. Not, it's a graveyard, <laughs> and it's not necessarily – he has greenies in his closet, but he's got other things. Um, I think you want to put the guy in the Hall of Fame that performed on the field, and um, I think that this is just the Hall of Fame uh, committee, the old-timers, who for some reason want to keep people out for whatever reason. Maybe they feel their generation's the last great generation – and use their muscle. If they don't want to show up to Cooperstown, I know that the economy in Cooperstown, they'll freak about that with autographs and stuff, but there'll be people who will come and do autographs. I, I, I think it's pure and simple this. Bonds and Clemens. It's not a church. Listen, Bonds and Clemens are Hall of Famers. If you take Bonds' mm-hmm. Pittsburgh career, because you know, I mean, maybe he took Greenies, but everybody was, he's still a Hall of Famer. You take Clemens' Red Sox career, and you want to cut it off there, uh, 95, before the steroids speculation in Toronto, he's still a Hall of Famer. The bottom so, line is, and I hate Roger Clemens. Everyone knows how I feel about Clemens. But I don't like if him. I had a vote, I'd vote for Clemens. Right. I'd vote for Bonds. And Shepherd. you know what? I'd vote for Sammy Sosa. You know, yeah, almost because the home runs, 600 home yeah. runs. But, I you know, mean, he's the one that. guy that you could make the ad- metrics argument in the offensive era that his numbers weren't as impressive as the others. Because you you could you could but still six hundred home runs he also revolutionized during a time right. when Mag- that McGuire and Sosa year right. that was crucial and you know the other thing is and I, I mentioned it before it's not a church it's a museum you want to talk about the steroid era have a whole room with information about what the steroid era possibly did right. to baseball fine well but you could co- say it's a church because God says come as you are well <laughs> but the bottom line is. The guy with the most hits, the guy who has tons of strikeouts. They're not in the And home, the guy right. who has most home runs and not in the Hall of Fame. Who do you recognize that? most with your era? Bonds and Clemens. Bonds and Clemens. Yeah, I would say Bonds and Clemens. Listen, Michael, it was great having Good you on stuff. the show. Thank you um, again. Open invitation anytime you want to come You guys, by, come I'm, by. I'm, I'm five miles away, so let me know when you want to talk some baseball. And uh, Knicks, too. I love talking Knicks, so um, appreciate it. And um, – we want to thank the one caller that called up tonight that I think um, I'm going to talk to a doctor of mine and see if he can <laughs> take a look at him because he definitely needs to take his happy pill in the morning before he leaves for work. Um, Jets lose. Probably their playoff hopes are over. We'll talk to you next week on New York Sports Wrap. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. 
rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.